Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of a head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. This is the second time that I've had Kiara on the Heads Talk show, and this is a two-part conversation. You are listening to the first part. Um, please check the uh, show notes for information about Kiara's first episode of Heads Talk, where she talked about the introduction of the vaccine passports. That was an interesting one. And the ramifications of that, albeit social, political, geographical, etc., um, okay, so without further ado, I'd like to welcome Kiara to Headstalk again. It's been Thank a while, but many thanks for being with us today. Thank you for inviting me, Elaine. It's it's absolutely a pleasure to uh, to be here again. Excellent. Um, we're going to talk about recent developments in laws and regulations that have come in regards to the digital market in the EU. Note, I did a digital service at episode with a Richard Iferente, a partner in KPMG. This was a while back. In fact, the episode was recorded in December 2021. A lot has happened since then. In fact, quite recently, only a couple or a few weeks ago, there was new laws on the Digital Service Act and the Digital Markets Act. It is said that these regulations are set to disrupt quite a few business models as as well as lift compliance costs for businesses with an online presence. I suspect that means most businesses, as the majority have an online presence of sorts. Okay, I want to ask you, Kiara, about the rapidly changing legal landscape. This is the introduction of new laws addressing perceived market failures in the provision of EU digital services. Each one targets a specific group of market participants via a specific legal paradigm, be it consumer protection or antitrust or harmonization of the single market, um, I guess the first challenge for businesses will be to understand which laws apply to them and which don't. Am I right? Absolutely correct. The overarching assumption here is that the European Commission is trying to regulate the digital landscape as a market. So we're looking at a market. How do you regulate a market? You use the parameter of consumer protection. You use the parameter of uh, antitrust, fair competition, level playing field, uh, you use the parameter of market failures. So each time the European Commission looks at the market for digital services, it will use a tool according to one of these parameters, but also it will look at market participants and business models. So the, from the point of view of each individual business, you have to not only understand the logic of the regulator, but understand that these legal categories, which are drawn with a sharp knife, you know, on when mm-hmm. you're drafting laws, will not apply neatly to you or will apply by overlapping uh, different frameworks. So, as you said correctly, the first challenge is really understanding where do you fall, which bucket do you fall into, which legal category Mm -hmm. applies to you. Mm -hmm. So let me talk through a few major new legal categories that business will have to 
try and learn and decipher, you know, does it apply to me? Am I one of these? Does, does that mean I have new obligations? So firstly, if you are likely to have about 10% of the uh, EU population as your active user, so about um, 45 million, uh, users, active users, then you are a gatekeeper. You are one of those um, providers of online services or digital services that has that is very likely to be a choke point, to be a gateway between um, two sides of the market, you know, buyers and sellers, users mm -hmm. and providers content so if you're a gatekeeper specific gatekeeper sort of obligations apply to you and the piece of legislation the, the act that most directly applies to you is the digital markets act that is a competition tool so that regulates um the provision of digital services and products and uh, from the point of view of antitrust regulation one of the most interesting and possibly the most impactful legal tools, however, is the Digital Services Act. That creates a legal category of online service provider, online platform, very large online platform, and very large search engine providers. Now, these are all legal categories. The first time I've seen the European Commission define what uh, an online platform is, what a search engine is, and what um, uh, an online service provider is. So it's important to understand what they're getting at here, right? So intermediary services is a definition that captures three varieties, if you want, of um, online actors. The Commission says, well, we have those that are mere conduit of uh, an online service. For example, they only transmit in a communication network information that the user, the end user, you know, you and I provide, they just transmit. So if they are mere conduit, they have a limited set of obligations. Then there are online intermediary services that offer a type of service that the Commission calls a caching service. A caching meaning they transmit information in a commercial, in a, sorry, in a communication network, which you and I provide, um, but they use a temporary storage of this information as a mean to facilitate the dissemination. So this is a complicated thing, but it thinks like LinkedIn or some, some social network. So you are intermediary service, you are providing a transmission of communication, you store it temporarily because, you know, it's not mm -hmm. instant messaging, mm -hmm. you post something today, I'll read it tomorrow. So that is a caching type of service. And then we have pure hosting, uh, intermediary services that act as pure hosting services. They offer storage of information that you and I provide uh, at, their, at my request, at your request, they release it or they publish it. So we have mere conduit, caching, intermediaries as hosting. So three varieties of intermediary services. And these have um, pretty much 
the, the sort of lower threshold of obligation. They're still very interesting obligations, but they're not subject to the same level of scrutiny, for example, that online platforms are. Now, let's see how the Commission defines an online platform. That is a hosting service that at request of the service user, you and I, the end user, mm -hmm. stores and disseminates information to the public, unless of course this dissemination feature, this storing and dissemination feature is not a mere sort of byproduct or ancillary service. You know, if you're, the typical example, if you are a, um, a online information provider, if you're the Guardian, yeah, the, the newspaper, and you have a comments section, that comments section is a mere ancillary service to your main service, which is that of providing news. So the Guardian will not count as an online platform, but um, others will. Mm. So, and very large online platform and very large search engines will again be those that meet that very important 10% threshold of active users, those uh, 45 million because they're considered to have a systemic impact on the European Union, the population being um, 150 million. So these are the main categories to be aware of. So if you fall, if your business falls into these categories, then you have new obligations. Okay. I hope that was clear. Yeah, um, that exercise in categorization is quite a big ask. Um, but possibly one that does not require a large budget. My immediate thought is about new staff requirements. In light of these new regulatory changes, what kind of new professional profiles do businesses need to appoint? Perfect question. Absolutely perfect question. <clears throat> this is, <clears throat> excuse me, this is of course tied to the new obligations that um, by large, the, yeah. the, the new staffing requirements are mostly to do with compliance. But even the sort of um, more basic obligations of the uh, new market participants as defined by the commission are one, to designate a single point of contact for communicating with authorities, the commission, the European Commission itself and the board. Then the major staffing requirement would be to designate a single point of contact for communications with the member state authorities, so uh, regular the European Commission itself. So that is one requirement. Second requirement, single point of contact for service users to communicate to, to reach out to. You and I must be able to speak to a single person uh, for these online service mm -hmm. providers. Then if the provider is not based in the European Union, it's not established in the EU, they have an obligation to designate a legal representative in each of the member states where they operate. So if you're based in Silicon Valley, you have to have a legal representative in uh, the member states. And then you have a lot of compliance obligations, which mean you have to beef up your compliance staff. So even if you are one of the uh, hosting service providers, so with fewer obligations, this applies to you because you have a lot of transparency obligations. So that's the very, very basic answer. Hmm. Okay, so, so the next step will be uh, to work out what the new 
legal obligations are for each category of market participants and what level of funding um, they will require. You know, budget cycles in businesses are longer than the, the average Brussels lead time between law entering into force and being enforceable. How challenging will the new obligations be? If you have risk assessment measures in place and you've always taken them seriously, you should already have the staffing and the know-how um, needed to, to, to carry out your new obligations. If you've taken internal audits uh, seriously, you will already have the know-how. But mm -hmm. the problem is a lot of digital uh, service providers are really just startups that have yeah. grown massively very rapidly and have not gone through that um, you know, cycle of, um, of audit. Um, mm -hmm purity so we have a lot of newcomers to the world of compliance that will have to have um, attention to all of the new obligations. let me list a few so for example you have transparency reporting obligation um, in terms of content moderation so for example um, let's say you have um content on your platform mm -hmm. you have an obligation to let the users know what your process will be for taking down that content so um, you will also have an obligation to report at least yearly for example the number of times authorities from state authorities, member state authorities, will have ordered you to take down illegal content. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. You will also have an obligation to report how not only how many times you've received out about how long it has taken you to carry out a obligation with effect to that order. Uh, if um, somebody, not necessarily state authorities, has notified you hosting content on your, on your uh, platform um, that some content is illegal, then you have to report yearly the number of notices you have uh, received and the action taken, uh, whether these notices concerned um, content that was illegal by law or mm -hmm. content that was really against your own terms, um, contractual terms, terms of conditional use. So you have to be specific about all this. Um, you also have to be transparent and report yearly about how much of that content moderation you have engaged in on your own initiative. Uh, that through monitoring, internal monitoring that you have carried out, you have to be transparent as to whether you are using automated tools to pick out um, illegal content and uh, what measures you are taking vis-a-vis -vis that content. Are you taking measures that affect its availability, mm -hmm. visibility, accessibility? Are you downgrading? Are you demoting content? What are you doing? So you have to be transparent about that. Um, and you have to be transparent about the number of complaints received um, 
that have gone through your internal complaint handling system. Um, <laughs> And again, you have to be transparent as to you, the way you resolve those complaints. Not only are you using automated tools to detect illegal complaints, but are you using automated tools to manage these complaints? So you have to be transparent about all of that. So that's, I think the answer to your question about budget is certainly depending on how much you want to automate the process um, and how much you want to um, have uh, staff manually uh, go through all your complaints, all your notices, you know, the budget uh, swells. The point is, whatever you do, you must have a complaints handling mechanism and you must have um, a way for the end user to contest your decision and to have that decision reviewed manually. So you can't automate entirely this process. So, you, you cannot count on, on savings by going fully automated on this. Hmm. So I think, I think this is um, the overview of your uh, main obligations. And, and, and I think the big lesson here is that content moderation, the, the, the trend towards pushing content moderation obligations onto the uh, providers of online services and platforms is really um, a, a global trend. It's really a way of saying that this process of internalization that these um, providers are going through of mechanisms that normally are reserved for courts. So nothing precludes the end user, you and I, to mm. initiate legal proceedings at any point. Um, again, if some of our content is taken down, for example, or we are deemed to have uh, posted or conducted illegal activity. But the point is that the range of obligations that's placed squarely on these uh, providers of services exactly mirrors what you would have in um, sort of the court system or out of court settlement bodies, arbitration bodies, so you have a complaints mechanism, you have a redress mechanism, you have an escalation of um, sort of objections, and you have obligations of impartiality, independence of the adjudicating body or the adjudicating sort of staff, compliance staff. So it's, it's quite a major shift, if you want, internal to these organizations. And if allegations of illegality are made, you have to have a team of legally qualified people who can understand, yes, this is a fair assessment. What's going on on my platform is actually illegal under the state law concerned or affected. And you have to be able to take action. So a lot of legal teams are going to have to be put to work internally. I hope that. Okay. Um all right. Yeah. So um, briefly, if you can. So, so what are the deadlines? By when do businesses need to comply? Right. The Digital Services Act uh, went into force on the 16th of November. So literally it's now in force. Uh, it's not yet enforceable, meaning that the, um, the key provisions will start to bite um, 
the moment you are designated as a very large online platform or a very large search engine, this is a designation that only the European Commission can give you. But transparency obligations kick in straight away for everybody else. So essentially now, the um, timeline for the larger um, online platforms and search engines will be four months after designation. So the moment you have, you receive this designation from the European Commission, and it will be published in the official journal, so it will be visible to everybody, you have four mm -hmm. months to comply with the more onerous obligations, which um, I haven't gone into right now, but essentially you have to have a, a risk, a, a systemic risk um, mm -hmm. management approach. You have to be aware that being a large provider, the, the risk of users deploying your platform uh, for, for example, subverting elections is a systemic risk. And as such, you have a higher threshold of obligations for monitoring what's going on on the platform, not just illegality of content posted or illegality of activity, but systemic risk to the European Union. Mm. Anyway, four months is the answer. Four months from the moment okay. you designate. Okay. Okay. Uh, the natural next question would be: What is the risk of non-compliance? What levels of fines are we looking at? Very large. We're looking at six percent of global turnover, so the competition level fines, and um, yes, ultimately, you 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 could be. Um, to stop operating in the European Union so mm. be out of business. So it's no joke. Um, and especially for the smaller online service providers that have um, very little experience of, of this level of scrutiny and monitoring, it is important to get a handle on this uh, as quickly as possible. But also, I, I suppose, have a good... Um, assessment of what else is going on in regulatory terms because as well as business models that are being if you want put under scrutiny you know um, disincentivized there are business um, models in the digital um, landscape that the commission wants to encourage, wants to cherish. So there are, there's value destruction, if you want, in many respects, but there's also value creation there. So I would recommend that startups especially look at other um, legal um, tools, other uh, regulations and acts mm -hmm. that are already enforced that encourage other alternative uses of data within the European Union. That could possibly be the topic for another podcast <laughs> that is where the value creation lies in this new digital package and certainly the data governance act is a very very interesting one to look at okay we listen listeners we will have um part two of this discussion shortly but in the meantime Chiara Rustici, an interesting conversation in this part one discussion many thanks for your time and insights many thanks elaine for having me thank you very very much for
Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.